just this fired up for Jesus, or are you just trying to thaw out? I'm not sure what's working, but whatever, it's working, and we are really, really glad that you're here. I'm going to tell you a couple stories about my kids and grandkids. When my daughter, Lindsay, was uh, three years old, uh, I preached at the Gateway Church in Pensacola, and we had a preschool in that church, and uh, she was getting in trouble with one of her teachers, and uh, Lindsay quickly told that teacher that they were going to have to go to her dad's office, that Buddy was the principal of that church, and uh, I could get this thing straightened out. Well, that didn't quite work that way. And then uh, sort of like mother, like son, I'd say, a couple years ago, my grandson sports here. He's back in the We Praise, and uh, Jacob Connor's showing this video, Sports Mesmerized. And all of a sudden, Jacob decides it's time to take the video out and dismiss the class. And Sport raises his hand, Mr. Jacob, Mr. Jacob, you can't do that. He said, that's not right. And my grandbuddy, he's the boss of this church. He's, uh, so I get in trouble in both, both, both cases. But guys, think about this. In any organization, the, the narrative always goes, who's the boss? Who's on top? Who's over everybody else? And it was no different when Jesus started his church. His disciples were constantly arguing about who was the greatest and who was going to be the boss. And we go to one of those passages this morning, Matthew chapter 20, if you're looking on your phone or your Bible, where we're going to study this. And as we look at this, Jesus is going to give us another must. If you're new with us today, we're doing a message series where we're looking at the moments that Jesus says, something you must do. Not a maybe, but a must. And we're going to run into one of those today. So go with me to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, and let's start this great story. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at the right and the other at your left in your kingdom. They knew Jesus was setting up the kingdom. If you read Mark's rendition of this, we don't see the mom. We just see James and John coming. But Matthew adds the detail that they brought mommy along. They thought there was a chance that she might be at a help. Salome is her name if you study your Bible. And you also find out that Salome was the sister of Mary, which means James and John were first cousins of Jesus. So obviously they think it may give them some heads up that they're kin to Jesus. He's about to set the kingdom up. They're not asking to be presidents. They just want to be the vice presidents. And so they come trying to, to, to make Jesus do this. And then in verse 22, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? They don't understand to be in Jesus' kingdom is a self-sacrifice. That Jesus is about to drink the cup. And they said, we can. And then Jesus said to them, the truth, we, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And then he says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So the two guys, guys, they asked for the top positions. The other ten get mad. I'm sure they're mad because they're more spiritual than these two. Oh, no, I, I don't believe that. I think they're mad because they asked first, right? They would like those positions. 
So this is an incredible moment for Jesus to teach them that he's calling us to an upside-down kingdom where the ways of the world are not the ways of his kingdom. Jesus called them together. It's time for a little teaching here. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, guys, you understand the way of the world. The most important person is the person on top. The most important person is the one who tells everybody else what to do. The most important woman is the one when she clicks her fingers, everybody moves. That's the way of the world. And now Jesus can say, hey guys, you're asking the wrong questions in my kingdom. Look at what he says next. Four key words, not so with you. Say those words with me. Not so with you. Not so with you. That's the way the world does business, but in this kingdom, that's not the way it's going to be. Listen to what Jesus says. This had to shock them. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must. There's our must word. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say this is a good idea. He didn't say this is a suggestion. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And so Jesus says, it's not the number of people under you. Greatness is rather measured by the number of people that you serve. And we understand that because when we really want to talk about great people, if we really want to eulogize someone well, we talk about how they served. It's the doctor that would show up in the middle of the night when you're in trouble. It's the neighbor that would cut your grass when you weren't able to do that. It's the teacher or coach who gave you special time when you weren't catching on. It's the lawyer who took care of you beyond what the law practice would, would call. You know it's the person who goes the extra mile. And then Jesus says, I'm not asking you guys to do anything that I don't do. Look at what he says in verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, Jesus says, I'm not asking you to do something different than me. I'm asking you to follow in my footsteps. He is the ultimate model. So here's our, our must today. You must be a servant. And let's just have a moment of honesty and clarity here. In the modern church, service has turned into a maybe, not a must. And we all know that. We hear people talk about the, I've heard it my whole life, the 80-20 rule that says 20% of the church does 80% of the work. And one good thing I'd like to say is I, don't, I think Landmark's different than that. I think we blow that statistic away. But still, we have too many people who think church is just a place I attend and I get fed. It's not a place I serve. read a book a couple years ago by Francis Chan who said some pretty direct things about this. So I want to read some quotations. may challenge you a little bit, might even upset you. So just remember these are Francis Chan's words, all right? He says, it's no secret that most people who attend church services, listen to how he puts it, come as consumers rather than servants. What's a consumer? A consumer's there to consume what they can get, to get what they can get. We have learned to accept this in the church as if there's nothing we can do about it. We're going to do something today about it. I like what he says here. We are too easily satisfied. 
We're content if a person leaves pleased. If I'm not careful, I can judge this Sunday by what you say to me at the door about whether you really like this lesson or not, or whether you really like worship instead of, man, am I going out to serve people? Listen to this. Have we shifted our criteria for a good disciple to someone who shows up to our stuff, gives a little money, and occasionally feeds the poor? That's not Jesus' criteria for being a disciple. And then he talks to church leaders. Church leaders' role is not to coddle you, but to equip you. Think personal trainer, not massage therapist. I like that. What's the role of our leaders in our church? It's not just to coddle you and make you feel good. It's to equip you to be out there and be in service. And I love these next two questions. Do you see the weirdness in calling people Christians when they aren't servants? Those, those, those two words have got to go together. To be a Christ-like person is to be a servant. And then he asked a pretty penetrating question for us today. Why don't we treat selfishness as a sin that needs to be confronted? Well, today, we want to confront this because we don't want to be that average church. We want to be that church where everybody serves. And that's why the shepherds of this church have challenged you. The way you sign up for service in our church is a, a form called Serve Together. And they have challenged us to get to 75% of our attending members here. At this moment, we're at 68%. Today, we want to blow past that, past 75%. Why? Because it's God's call. It's actually a must in God's eyes for you to be a servant in his church. Now, let me talk about three turnaround truths. If, 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 the, if the direction America is going is less and less people in church and less and less people really serving in church, what are the truths that would challenge us to go the other way? Number one, we must see the gravity of God coming as a servant. Because that is so, don't forget this, that is so radical. No one would have ever expected God to come and be a servant, to wash men's feet, to die on a cross in their stead. It was so radical that when he first told his disciples, oh my goodness, they were offended. That couldn't be God. Because we must see the gravity of this, that if God is a servant, he has every right to call us as servants. I like what Philippians chapter 2 says, who, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Sometimes they say, he didn't grab hold of it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I hear people say something that, that in light of this is really pretty foolish. They say, all religions are the same. All world religions lead to the same place because they're all the same. Listen, there is no other religion on the face of the earth that presents God as a servant. There is no other religion where God gives up his throne to come after us and to wash our feet. It's different. And if our God is willing to serve like that, here's the challenge for you and I. Man, it ought to be easy for us just to follow in his footsteps. Truth number two, we must see our identity as servants. Here's what I've got to watch. Service is not an activity, it's our identity. You see, when God came as a servant, he didn't flip a switch and turn into a servant. That's who God was. That's the kind of God we serve. 
And for us, it's not enough for me just to say, every once in a while, I'm going to go be a part of a service project. No, 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 no. It's not a project. It's who I am as a person. It's my identity in Christ. I am a servant. I heard a really good story about this the other day. Uh, you've heard of Truett Cathy. He's the, the owner of Chick-fil-A. How many of you want to go to Chick-fil-A for lunch on Sunday and you always forget that it's closed, right? But Truett Cathy, you know, got a lot of faith. And uh, he was opening a few years ago, about a decade ago, his first Chick-fil-A's in California. And so he was friends with Rick Warren, the famous preacher of the Saddleback Church there. So he'd gone by Rick Warren, and they're driving around, and he takes them to where they're building this first Chick-fil-A in California. The building's still getting built. It's about lunchtime, so they decide to go to lunch. Across the street, of all places, is a Taco Bell. And they go to a Taco Bell, which is a great disappointment to me. But they go, to this, they go to this Taco Bell, and they go in there, and they eat their food, and then they're about to leave, and they go to the restroom, you know, to wash their hands. And Rick Warren, the preacher, is walking out, and he looks back in the restroom, and Truett Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, is scrubbing the vanities there, the sinks there. And Rick Warren says, what are you doing? This is not even your restaurant. He said, Mr. Warren, what we teach our employers employees, is that anywhere they go, whether it's our place or another place, they always leave it better. And so he's serving. And so we've got to understand, guys, that's our identity. It's not just something we do at certain places at certain times. It's who we are. You remember when Jesus talked about those people who, you know, he said, fed, fed him when he was sick, clothed him when he needed clothing, visited him in the prison, and they don't even remember. Look at Matthew chapter 25. They said to him, when did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? When did we see you as a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? Because these people were so wrapped up in their identity as a servant, they didn't even remember that because it wasn't unusual. It's what we do. And then number three, we must see the necessity of us serving together. You see, I hear people say this sometimes. I understand it. You know, but I really get what you're saying about servants, and I know Jesus called me to be a servant, but I do all my servant, serving outside the church. I'm, I'm a part of these community organizations, and I do this in my neighborhood. He goes, don't get me wrong, man. We are servants everywhere we go. But I do think it's important, my friends, that we see the necessity in Scripture of us serving as a part of the church. Why? Because all the great analogies about what the church is involves a bunch of people. If we say the church, I love this one, if we say the church is the family, it's a lot of people working together. If we say the church is the army of God, you don't have an army with one person. And if we use the popular analogy of the Apostle Paul that the church is the body of Christ, the whole point is it's a body made up of lots of different people, lots of different parts, lots of different gifts and talents, but it all comes together to be Jesus. And listen to me, none of that can be done by yourself. It's the necessity we see that, yes, we need to serve everywhere we go, but we also need to serve in our church. It's the way God does his work. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. From Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's he saying? 
church is the body of Jesus when each part does its part in love. And, and what he says here is when the church does that, it explodes. Can, can you imagine, just dream with me for a second here. Can you imagine if we came to this church every Sunday to outdo each other in service? If we got over our selfish part and didn't come here to church saying, what are they going to do for me? Who's going to speak to me? Is the sermon going to float my boat? Is the worship going to be what I want? If we came to church going, you know what? I am here today to help somebody else. That's my purpose. And when we go out in the community together, we are serving together. And the church will explode. But listen, the opposite is also true. When the church doesn't serve, it shrinks. I know we're all concerned with the shrinkage of the church in America today. It's going on everywhere. We're not experiencing that here right now, but most churches are. And I tell you, here's what's happening. When the church doesn't serve as Jesus in its community, it dies. I heard something this week that really, really blew me away. It was a bit of history that's always fascinated me. In 1917, the communists took over in Russia. And I always thought when they took over, they banned people going to church. They shut down the churches. Not true. Now, if you go to Russia today, most of the churches are empty. But the communists did not close down the churches. What did they do? Here's what they did. They banned the churches from serving. Church could no longer take care of the sick. The state would. The church could no longer serve the orphan. The state would. The church could no longer go into the prisons. The state would. Now, let's be honest, the state did a terrible job. But the church is now banned from doing all those things, so the church is no longer the church, and the church dies. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when the church comes about you, when the church becomes about me, when the church comes about us just meeting our needs and we're not involved in our community, the church will die. And that's why I'm so excited about the story I'm about to show you from Tanzania, one of our great mission points where the church has exploded over the last 20 years has been in the African country of Tanzania. Now, why is the church exploding? I mean, you know, there hundreds of churches have been planted there. Well, I think you're going to hear in this video I'm about to show you from Kevin Linderman, that the service the church gives to people opens doors for the gospel. In specific, he's going to talk about them digging wells and talking about Jesus at the same time. So we're going to watch this video um, by Kevin Linderman. It's going to set us up for communion. If you're new with us after he prays, then there are communion tables all over the worship center. We encourage you to get up and to, to go get your emblems. We encourage you to do what they did in the first century, even have some interaction with someone, uh, encourage someone, say a kind word about Jesus, and take communion together, and uh, then we'll come back and finish this message. But right now, watch this video and prepare your heart to commune. Answering the question, why does God make service a must? And I think you've just sung the answer. I'm going to give you a lot of reasons behind it. But you've just sung the answer is God loves you. He's not trying to get you to serve, to take away your joy or your freedom. He's trying to get you to serve, to bless you. And I've been, been trying to whittle this list down because there's so many 
awesome reasons that you need to serve. I started with 12, I got to 10, and finally we had to fit it down to seven. So let me give you the seven reasons why I think God says you and I must serve. Number one, it gives credibility to our message. We just saw that in Tanzania. It is just as true in America. People are very leery of our message. People are very leery of church. What breaks those walls down? In America, what's probably broken more walls down is when there's a natural disaster and the church is what rushes to help people. In Montgomery, Alabama, it's if you've got a drug problem and they go, Landmark Church has an incredible RSVP ministry. That breaks the wall down. There are homes like the shed and like Heather's house where you can go and and be helped. You see, when we're out serving in the community, we say we really believe what we're talking about. When we go to Halcyon Elementary and we help that school, at least for a small part, of helping it go from a D grade to a B grade, people take notice. When we go, yes, when we go down into the inner city and you walk the streets of Wilson and you try to help the people who can't help themselves, that breaks down walls. When you go to Hope Inspired Ministry and you don't just give a handout, you give a hand up to help someone to be able to find a job, that's when people take notice. These guys aren't just about themselves. Guys, we're not going to change the world. Listen closely to me. We're not going to change this world by throwing stones at it. We're not going to change this country by playing the stupid political games everybody's playing. We will change this country when we are the greatest servants in this country. That's when it's going to happen, my friends. Number one, it gives credibility to our message. Number two, it reminds me it's not about me. I don't know about you, but too much is about me. Our first must was we must die to ourselves, And Jesus told us a couple weeks ago, we must die daily. And guys, for most of us, we've got to have that kind of death in our life. And service is where I go, you know what? I'd really like to be doing this. Or I've got these old needs in my life. But I'm going to put them to the side. For I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to go and serve somebody else. Number three, it purifies my motives. Sometimes our motives can get mixed up. Mine can. Why do we do what we do? Guys, I'm telling you what, you'll know your motives are pure when you're willing to go serve someone in a place where nobody will watch and nobody will applaud. I I was reading about a church. It really struck me because I'm in this position. But there's a church that has a requirement that anybody who plays a public role in their church must sign up for service somewhere behind the scenes. In other words, as a preacher, I can't say, well, I just serve because I I come up with messages and I preach those messages. No, no, I need to be somewhere where there are no applause. If you're in our worship band, in our worship team, you don't just need to be up here on stage. You need to be somewhere serving where people don't see it. That's true for all of us. That purifies my motives. I'm not doing it just for someone to see it. Number four, it fills me with joy, purpose and joy. (coughs) Because it's the cool thing, guys, is that Jesus is, is wanting to take you down the path of joy. We've talked about this so much the last few weeks. Selfishness is not the path of joy. The more you think about yourself, the more miserable you'll be. The less you think about yourself, the more you think about others, the happier you'll be. It just works. It's sort of like going to work out in a gym. You dread it, but you never regret it. And I guarantee you, when you put yourself out there to serve, 
when you go to love the city, when you go, when we go down in these different places around Montgomery and you serve, I never hear anybody walk away and go, man, that was a waste of my time. I should have stayed home and watched football. Oh, no. They find out that service is the path to joy. And I got to point out a brother of mine that really has inspired me for years. Stephen Frisbee plays over here on the guitar. But I've been in groups with Stephen Frisbee for years. And I remember the day Stephen Frisbee told me, he said, buddy, God has convicted me that if I'm ever asked to do anything at church, I'm going to say yes. And I've watched that guy for 10 years live that way. And sometimes I've watched it fill his schedule to the point I've been worried about him. But he said, I've seen that 80-20 rule. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to serve. And I believe God's blessed him. And God's blessed his family and blessed his children to see a dad who serves that way. It's going to bless you. Number four, it's a place I encounter Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, when you serve the least of these, you're not just serving them, you're serving Jesus. Number six, it's a time I connect with other people. You know, in our church, I think there's two primary ways you really get close to people. One, and you know we talk about this a lot, is small groups where you get in a circle of people and you share life. Two is in service. Or small groups may be face-to-face service. You're, you're side-by-side with somebody, and you're out working in that classroom together. You're out working in that neighborhood together, and you grow great relationships our last love the city, we went down to Boylston to that inner city church, and I was so blessed that I got paired with Jackson Hill. And our job was a nasty job. It was just get a trash bag and put some gloves on and walk around that neighborhood and clean up all the trash. But the blessing to me is I got to know an incredible young man named Jackson Hill a whole lot better. I'm telling you, when you serve, we connect with each other. Number seven, it's how we do Jesus' work. Please listen to that. It's how we do Jesus' work. Jesus has called his church to be him, to be his body. He's not called you to be Jesus. That's a misnomer. Don't tell me you're going to go out and be Jesus by yourself. You can be like Jesus. But to be Jesus, it takes all of us coming together. I like what my friend Rick Ashley said. If you're not serving, if you're not serving in your church, there's something God wants done through his body that's not getting done. Listen, we need every one of you to serve in this church. Can you imagine if we started to outdo each other in service? Now, let me say something real clear before I close down. I think this really needs to be said. We are not saved by service. We are saved to serve. Did you catch that? I mean, I know this is a pretty upfront message. Because you're not saved because you serve. You're saved to serve. You see, we've been saved by this God who came to serve us and came to take care of us and rescue us. What's the highest motivation for me to go serve? Not for my salvation. The highest motivation is, my goodness, I can't believe he could save someone as selfish as I am. I can't believe that God is as incredible as he is to be a servant. And out of that motivation, I'm motivated to go and serve. So let me ask you a question as we close out, in this church, are you a consumer or a servant? You say, what's well, a consumer? Consumer just comes here for what you can get. And there's a lot of good things to get in this place. But a servant comes here to serve. Francis Chan had another, I thought, very, very challenging quotation, especially for a church like us who sees such openness on this front row. 
He says, we confront sexual immorality in our churches because we're commanded to live holy lives. The adulterous person does not represent Jesus well. But neither does the consumer. It is a sin that has to be confronted if we want to give the world an accurate representation of the body of Christ. And if we really love our brothers and sisters, shouldn't we be encouraging them to repent for not serving? That's pretty strong. Can you imagine this morning on this front row? If we had some people just come and say, you know what? I didn't mean to. Life just got busy. Other things took over. And before long, I just attend. Or some of us, just to be honest enough this morning to come forward and say, you know, here's my sin. It's just selfishness. Our selfishness twin, my sin is just, it's just flat out laziness. Wouldn't that be something? I would speak. I was so touched in first service by the person that responded. He's one of the greatest people in our church, Gloria Gibbons, one of our shepherd's wives. And she wrote her card out, and she wrote the same sentence six times. Listen to what she wrote. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Many of us need to say that. Because as long as it's about you, it's communicable. You see, why should we obey this must from Jesus? I'll tell you the best reason. It's from the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is teaching this is a must because he knows this is the path to a great life. And so this morning, I'm challenging you. If you've not filled out your Serve Together form and you're a part of this church, we just got to get past this right now. And there's a QR code there on the message outline. If while we all stand, you just want to stay seated there and use your phone, it'll lead you to where you fill this thing out. Please fill it out. Some of you are assuming that we just know where you're going to serve. Or you've served there for 20 years. No, we can't know by osmosis. The shepherds of this church want us to be a serving church. You might go get the form later and fill it out. But before you leave this place, I'm encouraging you to be blessed by serving. You see, guys, we're so much like those early disciples. In the natural man, we love to argue about who's the boss and who's on top. We're in Jesus' kingdom. It's not measured by who's on top. It's measured by who's on bottom. It's measured when we give our life to Jesus as a servant. Jesus came to be a servant and to give his life a ransom for all. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today could be that day. If today you know that you have fallen in the natural man, which is so easy, I didn't even think about it, and you've become more and more selfish and you're really not serving in God's body, and today you want to make a public commitment, meet me down front here while we all stand together and sing.